1: Fragments of silicon straight from the bottom of a bag of computer chips.
2: To another edition of fragments of silicon um second episode of the week um yeah we had in your Euro- we had a european interview uh, the uh, other day um uh, more on that in a bit but joining me this week are gallix
1: hello
3: teddy fan whippy ogre i don't even know how to say hello to you people anymore <laughs>
2: Twilight.
3: Yo.
4: <laughs> All
2: right, let's get into it. Um, Galax, you go first.
1: Um not a whole lot of news this week. I think the games we're supposed to play this week are pretty quick, so I'm not too worried about those, although I'm going to play them. Um I officially beat the last of the divine beasts in uh Breath of the Wild last night. Uh So now I just need to get the rest of the shrines, and then I'll probably be done, unless my anal retentiveness makes me get enough Korok seeds to fill all my slots, which, considering that, would be a lot. I might not do before (laughs) I'll be done with that. For now, Um, other than that, not too much particularly interesting, I don't think. All
2: right, uh, Petty Pan.
0: Um, let's see, not a whole lot of news has been going on here. Um, I got near automata for the PS4 because it was on sale and I had birthday money, so woohoo. <laughs> um, aside from that, I had to order a new um, heating element for our oven because <laughs> the oven's older than I am and it finally gave out. Luckily, it should be an easy replace, so.
2: That's good. As long as you don't have to replace it because it's forty years old and avocado green.
3: <laughs> yeah, Honestly. we all follow Nash too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> At
0: least that was understood. Um. Aside from that, been looking into getting some guests for MSP. Ogre might be excited about one of the prospects, but they have that car. <laughs> Um, they haven't confirmed a date yet, though, so I'm not giving any names.
2: Yeah, uh, always good policy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, anything else?
0: Um, nothing new to report. All right, Twilight? Mm, not much going on here either this way. just work has been good, it's been raining, and been playing games for the review this Sunday, and that's about it. <laughs> Next.
3: <laughs> Ogre? I guess it's just a boring day for everyone.
4: <laughs> eh,
3: not much. I went out and got my glasses adjusted. Turns out they've been apparently too tight on my temple, so got that mm-hmm. taken care of. Let me see. Let me see. Anything else? Uh, recordings are going fine. Getting closer and closer to the end of the game. And... Naka just.
2: He's about done with his single player project, so.
3: I'm curious yeah. what he's gonna do because he got that, um. Uh huh. Wonder Boy game. I mean think he he's gonna about. play
0: that on a uh, stream because somebody asked for that and won a voting, so. I think he okay. might stream that before he actually starts his Let's Play.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, can he record Switch games? Oh yeah, we got that new capture card. Works for the switch. Yeah. yeah,
0: the switch is just HDMI out through the dock. You can, as long as you has something to record HDMI, he's good.
3: Yeah.
4: But,
2: yeah, that's the one I, I'm thinking. Maybe not immediately. Like he might do one, uh, like some game. None, none of us would guess in a thousand years.
3: You know.
0: <laughs> it's Chrono Trigger. <laughs> I'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah, Ogre so would be that mad. That would
3: be problems because. Yeah, that yeah. one's gonna be duoed no matter what happens.
2: <laughs> but you know the kind, of, you know the games I'm talking about, like the Luglum Dare stuff. Mm-hmm.
3: Anyway, um, anything else on your end, Ogre? Uh Not much. I continue to be the chef of the house for the time being. <laughs> Kinda fun, but sometimes, man, can it get exhausting?
0: I hear that. <laughs>
3: yeah. Like,
2: yeah, this is why I use a microwave to cook. Although I suppose um, that's a good
3: segue for my news. Well, uh, I was gonna say real quick. It's like uh, I guess we're not the only people here that need new ovens at some point. <laughs> <laughs>
2: nah, my oven is just fine. It's just uh, I burned my hand today. Nothing major. Just a oh. bit of swelling. But um, molten chili hurts.
3: <laughs> nah, like. Yeah, that's fun. Try to do, uh, shit, what's it called? Um, I think Rue. Oh, that's A not fun. Agent napalm. <laughs> Accurate term. No, no,
2: no. No, I mean, it was literally hot, not not
3: the chemical hot. Like. <laughs> oh, that's kind of what I mean, too. That... Oh, okay, okay.
1: Yeah, just yeah, want to make sure that, we're not that, talking that... spicy. Like, no, no, no,
3: no, that thing will
1: burn you. Yeah. Well, spicy stuff can still hurt when it gets on the skin just because of the acid or whatever. Yeah, I know that, but I'm like, this was, you know,
2: this was um, too hot because I thought I had gotten chili spaghetti, but I got regular chili, and yeah, there's a weight differential, let's just say, and you know, (laughs) I grabbed it too quickly, and it spilled all over the place. Yeah, there's some minor swelling, but I'm I'm fine. Yeah. So. Some of um soda won't cure. <laughs>
4: well, um, let's you're see. All
2: right. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, um got my hair cut today. Boy was that needed. Like, <laughs> been um longer than I had wanted to go and it's getting to be the summertime here, so yeah. Having a lot of hair in in the heat is enduring. <laughs> like um Let's see. Uh, Yeah, I think that's about it for personal news. Um, Show news. um, I think I mentioned this on the... I'm trying to remember if I mentioned it last week, but um, starting this week on our sister show, MSP, which which airs after this on YouTube, um, we're going to start having guests again. Um, So there will be more announcements of what's going on there at the end yeah and yeah and yeah that's also going to reflect in our official promos that we do for the website eventually now you still gotta start like uh, there's a lot of things that are changing right now in case you haven't noticed but um aside from that um i think that's about it um so with that in mind we shall roll along to the interview portion of our broadcast this uh this day and this week we are welcoming um apologies if i mispronounce uh, your last name uh philip daigle of bean dog software
5: that is correct you have pronounced it correctly
2: excellent I've, all I've right so saying... sorry yeah. all right so we like to start our interviews by getting to know the person Um, behind the game, behind the studio, behind the whatever. And we like to start by finding out what got you interested in video games in the first place?
5: So I was always kind of a giant nerd as a kid. Um, I started off with a Commodore 64 back in like, oh man, it must have been like 1989 or something like that. So I'd always been around computers quite a bit, Um, but it was mostly just like, hey, there's a bunch of games that I can play and it's not really gonna go any further than that. I was probably in my early teens when i discovered uh how to sort of get at all the software that my dad had hidden away on like floppy disks and i realized hey wait a minute there's like tons of cool pieces of software and games on this huge archive of stuff that that i could dig into and so i started getting into that um a few years after that i got onto the internet and i started getting interested in um open source games because uh I was one of those teenagers who ran Linux on his personal computer, so when you run Linux on your personal computer in the late 90s, early 2000s, there are not a lot of games available for you. So uh, I started looking at what was there, and uh, I actually got into uh, the team that was building um, an open-source re-implementation of Warcraft 2. At the time it was called Freecraft, and then uh, one day Blizzard sent them a cease and desist order and they had to change the name to Strategists. Um, But that's kind of where I got my start. I actually started building a campaign for them that wasn't the regular Warcraft 2 campaign so that we could have our own content for people to enjoy. And That's kind of where I got my start interacting with uh, other disciplines of game design, like I would constantly be bugging the programmers for, hey, if you added this feature, I could add this to the campaign and we could do this, this and this. So that's kind of where I got my start, and uh, after that, I ended up, just through a chance meeting, um, met with Cameron Topher, uh, this was, must have been about 2005 or so, and uh, we got to talking, and he invited me to the uh, game development studio that he was running at the time, just to check it out, and uh, after a few more conversations, I started in QA, and slowly worked my way up. Huh. So... Did you ever go to like
2: uh, college or university
5: around uh, your school? Skills? I did. I did go to uh, University of Alberta, but it wasn't for gaming stuff. Um, for a while there, I had actually gotten out of games and so I went and started getting an English degree. But eventually I got roped back in, and uh, I couldn't say no to video games because it's kind of once you've been doing it for a while, you kind of realize that that's all you ever really want to do. I suppose, I mean, I, we've had similar tales
2: from um, you know, people on this show, and um, so, um, what, what was your um, first place of employment
5: within the industry? So there's this tiny, tiny speck of a town that's four hours north of Edmonton, and if you're familiar with where Edmonton is, it's several hours north of anything else worth seeing. So it was very, very far remote location, the last place in the world that I would ever expect a game company to be in. And uh, no, there was one there. Cameron was running it. It was called Hermitworks Entertainment. And uh, we produced some interesting games, for lack of a better term. And uh, it, was, it was a really good time. It was a learning experience. Um, none of the games were really that successful, but I, I treasured the time. It was, it was awesome up there. I just wish it wasn't in the frozen north. <laughs> I can
2: I can imagine somewhat um, I, I must admit I've never heard of Works.
5: oh yeah no we were uh, we were a tiny tiny company we were like 90 uh, percent first timers I think the company was only ever eight or nine people at its height we produced um, this was right around the time that Quake 3 was open sourced and so we were like hey let's take Quake 3 and make a game out of it But we didn't really, because nobody had really done real, you know, big games before there, we didn't really grasp that, hey, if you're going to take Quake 3 and make a game with it, maybe you should make a game that, you know, plays to Quake 3's strengths. Uh, So instead, what we did was, do you guys remember the game Drug Wars? I'm sure if you've ever seen a T-89 calculator, you've seen Drug Wars.
2: Yeah, I remember playing Drug
5: Wars a lot in the um, year of 2001, I think. Yeah, so it's it's been around for ages and ages, but the basic concept is buy commodities, aka drugs, travel somewhere, see how the prices have changed, and then either sell them or hold on to them and try somewhere else. So it's a commodity trading game. So our idea was, hey, let's take the idea of drug wars and let's add an FPS element to it, which... Kind of a weird concept so we made a game called space trader merchant marine Now this is a sci-fi game where you hop from planet to planet buying and selling commodities like funny commodities that we made up and then as well there were these little like fps segments where you could get into a shootout with a crime boss and like take out his minions and try and kill him and if you do you get the bounty reward that was kind of the base game We spent uh, two years cranking on this thing. Nobody really knew what they were doing. We were just kind of making it up as we went along. And in the end, we managed to put out a product. I mean, it's not a bad game, but it's not particularly great. Like, the graphics are pretty dated, and the gameplay is surprisingly difficult. I went back and played it last year, and I was like, this is hard. Why did I release this? Oh,
2: yeah, I've actually played this game. Really? Yeah, I I, I got in the, um, I got I got it in a um, package I
5: bought some years ago. Yeah, it would have been like bundled with a bunch of other Meridian Four uh, games. It was that was the yeah. publisher that picked it up. Yeah. So that was the first game that I ever worked on. uh completely new experience for me. I'd never done anything like three D or action before. And uh, so in the end, uh, I ended up building the entire single player campaign and uh, writing the entire thing just about for dialogue. And at the time, I was not a very good writer, so when I go back and read some of the text from that game, I cringe a little bit. But I mean, I'm still not a very good writer, but it was worse then.
4: <laughs>
5: Duly noted. As it so
2: happens, we had Meridian 4 on the broadcast uh, well, a few months really? ago. Yeah, yeah, those guys are, are a lot of fun. Uh, do you have Steve? uh let me
5: uh let me check uh who did we have on uh, let me just check my notes here uh, it's me... been almost 10 years for me so I, I probably have forgotten their name uh jeff sure uh working. jeff flassen jeff i'm pretty sure i remember jeff from rooting for if it's the guy i remember he was uh yeah he was one of our contacts when we were building space raider
1: yeah yeah yeah
2: i believe he mentioned that he was uh, like the liaison for development yeah
5: so that, that was our first attempt. It was a very, very weird game with a lot of uh, competing ideas. But we did it. We put it out there. Uh, it paid for itself, at least, my, is my understanding. And then after that was kind of the big iOS boom. So that was right when the uh, app store opened up and everyone was like, oh, my God, there's a mountain of money to be made here. <laughs> so we we hooked up with Paramount Pictures because they were opening up uh, a game division, I guess. And we did Saturday Night Fever, the game. Actually, no, sorry. It was Saturday Night Fever Dance. Huh. Yeah, not really the, the, the IP that you really think of when you uh, think new video game.
2: I'm just more surprised that didn't end up on consoles as a um, uh,
5: Just Dance clone. You would think that. It was actually an Elite Beat Agents clone, if you guys have ever played that. Uh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, so you had like John Travolta shaking his junk around and you were uh, moving your finger along with the piece and all that. <laughs> well then. And, uh, it, was, it was interesting. It was the first licensed IP I'd ever worked with. I, I thought it was fun. It was a good time. But it was maybe mm-hmm. a little too early in the iPhone's uh, lifespan to be doing a fully 3D game. Because
4: mm-hmm.
5: at that time, I mean, Sim City 4, or sorry, SimCity for iOS had just come out. And that was still a time when that game running while your phone is plugged in will still drain the battery. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, is it still available? Uh, Space Trader Merchant Marine is available on PC still. Saturday Night Fever Dance, I don't think it is. It broke after a few iOS revisions, and then Paramount at that point had already uh, been divorced from it for a couple of years, and they didn't want to bother updating it. Mm. And then the third game we'll tell you about. I realize you want to move on to the next segment here, but uh, this is probably the the one that I'm. I don't want to say that I I, I think of it negatively. It's just it was an experience. But I uh, built a game for uh, President Donald Trump. Oh God. Yeah, so um, taking the Space Trader engine, we decided, hey, we need to do some contract work. And his organization contacted us uh, through some intermediaries, I guess. And they were like, hey, we want to make a fun iOS game and you guys have some tech and you're available. So what do you say? So we took Space Trader, a game about traveling between planets and shooting people, and turned it into Trump Tycoon. Which is a game about traveling to different Trump towers around the world and then buying, selling, upgrading properties. Yeah, I think I saw that on YouTube not too long ago. I hope, like, it, it was one of those games that we put it out there and then uh, the company that had us do it was like, okay, we're going to put it up and then never update it again. So once again, after a few iOS revisions, it stopped working. So I don't think it's available anymore.
4: Yeah,
2: I'm like, I don't think the world is missing much from <laughs> from that.
5: It was it was a weird game because it retained the first-person aspects of it. So you would like in first-person mode on your iPhone, you're wandering around Trump Tower, walking up to people to talk to them to get like business deals done. So it's a little weird, but uh, that's kind of my pedigree before coming to Beamdog. I <laughs> uh, I gotta admit I wasn't expecting that. I like to whip that one out and uh, surprise people because it's a lot of fun, but uh, it's also, I don't want to say it's embarrassing, but like, I, I don't know what, what, how it reflects on me. I'm like, work is work. Yeah, that's thats
2: kind of it. Plus, you know, nobody expect I'm sure no, at that time nobody
5: expected, you know, President Donald Trump. It was it was funny because like as we did the graphics, uh, they they sent me a bunch of uh, high, super high risk photographs of Donald Trump to cut up and put in the game. So I did that, like yeah, I turned them into a bust or whatever, so that uh, you can see his little avatar when you're talking to him. And they would send back feedback like, his tie is cropped in a way that makes it look like it's strangling him. And, and I'd just be like, uh, all right, I, I guess I can fix that, but that's a very specific complaint to have. <laughs> There's just a lot of things like that. This doesn't surprise me in the least.
2: <laughs> I'm like, I'm
0: I am literally 0% surprised by this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no shit. Uh, I'm like, never... Anyway, um, before we get into more fashion chips with Donald Trump, I think we
5: should move on to Beamdog. So um, how did you end up there? So Beamdog was actually formed by uh, Cam Tofer and Trent Oster, and Cam was actually the owner of Hermitworks up in Grand Prairie. So he ended up starting Beamdog with Trent and after, uh, I guess it was three or four months of the company running, they found themselves in need of a producer, and so they contacted me and said, hey, do you want to come board? And I was like, dear God, yes, get me out of Grand Prairie. <laughs> so I uh, moved down to Edmonton and started there, and I've been there since about uh, 2010. And so Thank in you. my time there, I uh, started in production, and now I'm sort of a project director slash design manager at the company. Hmm. So the company's grown quite a bit from uh, me and two other guys in a – Upstairs office that used to be a uh, house of ill repute. To a, I think we're up to thirty-five people now, and our office is still a place of ill repute. I
0: was about to say, it's still an office of ill
5: repute. <laughs> Saw it coming a mile away. Thought I'd do it yeah. first. Uh, uh, so, um, I, what was the? Uh,
2: did you first start working on MDK two? Yeah.
5: So the, the history was um, initially we were uh, Beamdog was gonna be sort of a competitor to Steam, so we were like, hey, we'll uh, sign a bunch of uh, publishers, we'll get their game libraries, and we'll sell them, and we'll slowly chip away at the giant that is Steam. Now, in 2010, you could right. consider that foolish. In 2017, you could consider that suicidal. So uh, very quickly we realized, yeah, you don't you don't beat Steam uh, at their game. So we kind of pivoted and said, you know what, what we could do, though, is we could uh, start bringing some classic games that some of the people on the team had worked on, uh, i.e. MDK, and bring them forward because these are really popular games. We really like them, but they were kind of not running super well. So MDK 2 was our first stab at sort of uh, enhancing a game and bringing it forward. First, on to the Wii. So, MDK2 was uh, initially a WiiWare title when we got our hands on it, and mm-hmm. that's a whole story in and of itself. We managed to get the entire thing down to I think under 40 megs. Right. Cameron, who did the lead programming on it, I think he still has nightmares about how he was going to cram all those bits down. Yeah. And then uh, after that, we were like, okay, we're in a position to do MDK2 HD, and then we did, and it was decent for us. Ultimately, that was an interplay project, though. Uh, Interplay, as you may remember, was once a powerful entity and is now a, well, for lack of a better term, let's call them a zombie.
2: Yeah, that's about right. Um, you know, it's like I've, I've heard the horror stories of people who have done projects for them in recent times.
5: I mean, uh, the, at this point, Interplay is just selling off all their assets, so I think they're in kind of a closed down phase. But once, many, many moons ago, they were uh, a powerful force
2: yeah actually on that from what i understand they couldn't find a buyer um for anything mainly <laughs> because they refused to split up the assets it's like
5: yeah so for example uh shattered steel uh kind of a not super well-known mech game from the 90s it was a pc game shattered steel was actually trent uh one of the first games he ever worked on uh, at bioware just uh, if you recall shattered steel came out way before even Baldur's gate yep um however i mean shattered steel came out in like what 97 or something 96. Mm -hmm. no additional game since not a huge game when it was released and trent was like hey you know what i'd like to buy shattered steel just to have a piece of you know something that i worked on years and years ago and maybe we'll do something and maybe we won't but the price that they wanted for this honestly not very valuable ip was insane and so it's kind of like what are you guys doing here do you want to sell things or not they probably don't
2: that's why they're so expensive um, see also the zombie Atari, from what I've heard.
5: Yeah, that's that's a very similar story.
2: Like, um, yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. Mdk two on the Wii is um, right. Yeah, w- was a very contentious uh, project. We had Trent on the program about sh- two years ago now. Um, it was when uh, Siege of Dragonspear was in production. Right. Yeah. 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 And. You know, he told us how much of a nightmare it was, and I this day uh,
5: Beamdog still refuses to work for work with Nintendo because of the fallout there. So okay, so here's the issue that we had with Nintendo. I personally don't have any issues with Nintendo, but at the time, and maybe this has changed. Dear God, I hope it's changed. Uh, their process for having a WiiWare title approved was just a nightmare. It was a complete black box. They wouldn't give you like the specs that they'd be ranking you against. So we would get kicked back to resubmit for just the weirdest stuff that if we had known about it beforehand, we could have implemented it. But uh, I think, for example, one of the things they complained about was an SD card icon, not looking quite like an SD card the way that they wanted it to. And just a lot of little nitpicks like that. And they would stop after they found the first problem Send it back. So it's like, okay, we'll fix one thing, resubmit. All right, they're sending it back for another uh, questionable reason. So that was kind of the the nightmare that we faced, where it's like we have no clue how it's gonna, how long it's gonna take to move through certification with these guys because they won't give us specs or an overall review of what we've submitted. I hope that that's changed. I mean, I think that they'd be crazy if they hadn't fixed that up. I would be willing to work with agenda again in the future. Uh, I think the Switch is pretty cool. Um, I'm interested to see how people take advantage of it, because if they don't, it could end up as another Wii U. But uh, I personally don't have an issue with it if the title and the platform are right. Duly noted. I,
2: I mean, uh, we know quite a few um, developers who are who either have or are working on the Switch, and they say it sounds like night and day. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, just from everyone we've talked to, um, the Switch is a, a dream to work on.
4: Yeah.
5: Mm-hmm. And and I mean, it, the hardware itself, like they're getting better and better about that. The issue, another issue that we had with Nintendo was that for a long time, and I don't think this is true anymore, but for a long time, especially in the earlier days of uh, the original DS, Nintendo made money off of Nintendo consoles and not necessarily anybody else. And that was kind of an issue where it's like, we're going to put all this work into getting a game onto the Wii or onto the DS. And honestly, third-party titles at that point weren't selling enough to really justify it.
2: Right. Although with WiiWare, there was a specific quirk of the system. Um, They had a um, blanket policy of a game had to sell about 20,000 units, I believe. And then developers would get paid.
5: Yeah, that was uh, yet another point of contention where it was like, you're essentially saying that for very small indie devs, you're never going to pay them out. And uh, I think we 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 ran into that uh, after, like they instituted that policy, I think, after we had already got our game out. But it was still uh, an issue.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that died with the Wii U. Or um, in the Wii U era, they, they, they got rid of it. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: I, I yeah it was part of them just having really yeah sort of backwards online functionality stuff for the first like first generation they tried it more or less yeah
5: well even even now i mean they still have well actually okay i understand why friend codes exist and i understand why they're important but man what a terrible uh
1: it should be more it's searchable it's than it is i mean having a numerical thing isn't bad but
5: yeah i mean i i get the whole protecting children thing, and that's important for Nintendo. Like, extremely important for them. But, it's at the cost of such a horrible interface.
1: I'm actually not sure how Switch Online multiplayer, or Switch uh, stuff is gonna work with uh, yeah. that.
0: Nobody knows until really they release it. it. yet. But.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's a
2: question that might be answered with um, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, or probably um, especially Splatoon 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, apparently the um, so online functionality. Moving is
5: forward, um
2: the enhanced editions. Yeah, uh, one was
5: uh Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition. So uh Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition um was a, a huge learning experience for us. Um it was super buggy when it came out. I mean I don't think anyone can deny that. And uh the value initially was kind of questionable. I mean I think we've taken the time to fix it up and it's a lot better now, but initially we were like we have to get this out of the door. We have a terrible contract with Atari. Uh, we got to do something. So we were, for a lot of the earlier enhanced editions, you we were really scrambling to, to make things happen. Mm-hmm. Then Icewind Dale was kind of a step up and now we can actually take our time, <coughs> at least the way that we want. And it went great. Um, so that was kind of the story for BG one and two is we were just scrambling to make something happen. And, uh, The product suffered a little bit for it, but I think now, and especially with the upcoming patches that we have, they'll be pretty great. Mm. Right. Um, So Atari seems to have
2: left the scene after the Baldur's Gate enhanced editions. Um, How did you form your own relation
5: with uh, Hasbro? So Hasbro, uh, the owners of Wizards of the Coast, honestly, we deal with Wizards of the Coast more than directly with Hasbro. Mm But we had already established a really strong relationship with them early in the process of doing Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition when Atari was still in the picture. Uh, Honestly, I mean, Atari mainly just complicated things. We probably would have had a much smoother uh, release had they not been kind of doing things. Yeah, we had Atari on the program
2: once, and it's honestly one of the worst interviews I've ever uh, done. (laughs) Like... I'm like, I guess it wasn't so much bad as
5: I, I've never done a, a more corporate interview in my life. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So, I mean, I, I can't, I don't, I mean, I don't want to get myself in trouble here, but <laughs> at that time when Atari was sort of sunsetting out of the contract, they were obviously like, we want to squeeze as much money as we can out of this, so we're kind of going to thrash around and do some crazy things on our way out. And so we had that whole problem um, with having to take Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition off sale for a while. I don't know if you guys remember that but this was uh for i think a, a good month or so we had to take it down and that was directly related to our legal dispute with atari mm. but we had uh, as i mentioned we had a strong relationship with wassee just by going back and forth with them about the extended content of bge and uh they kind of liked us because we were deeply deeply careful with the lore um we were all kind of huge DD and forgotten realms nerds so we wanted to really really make sure that we were nailing the lore that we were making everything feel as if it was very forgotten Mm realmsy so we had a pretty good relationship at that point and then by the time that atari was getting out of the the picture they were like thank god we can just deal with you guys and things have been great since then
2: that's good to hear um right so siege of dragon sphere um So, how did this project come about? Um, I remember there was a lot of excitement. Um,
5: yeah, in the up to the release. So, Siege had a bit of a an interesting, and you could argue, troubled development history. Where initially, it was uh, the idea came up when we were doing Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition, and we were doing the the tiny little uh, follow requests and we were like, Hey, wouldn't it be great if we could put out like a little, you know, hour and a half long dungeon dlc at the end of bg that connects you into bg2 and we thought yeah that's a cool idea let's put that on the back burner and sort of slowly think about it and so that was the initial idea is that all right it'll be like a little two three dollar you know cool dungeon that carries you between games and then things kind of changed opportunities emerged etc etc and so they're like hey let's turn this into a a full expansion pack, and so I was thinking, all right, well, we'll have to sort of re-scope what this thing is and redesign it. Then some additional funding came in, and we thought, okay, now we're going to make this a standalone release, so you'd have Baldur's Gate, you'd have Siege of Dragon Spears, a standalone game, standalone expansion pack, you know what I mean? And then right. uh, we'd have BG2. Um, and then there were some complications with that. We were operating that under that assumption for a while, and then last minute, some changes had to come out, and... we had no choice but to turn it back into an expansion pack. And so that again, changed a lot of the design of it, because if it's a standalone game, then you drop players in a little differently than you would if it were an expansion pack. So Siege suffered quite a bit from uh, scope change quite often. And so it would balloon up and it would shrink down, it would balloon up again, and that really takes a a toll on the, the content that you're building when you're constantly rebuilding it for different scales. So that was a bit of an issue and then of course uh we had reached a point where we were really happy with the core of the game and we were just iterating on it to get all the polish and the bug fixes out but then due to circumstances outside of our control we kind of realized "Uh oh we have to release this within a certain time frame and that obviously was a huge problem because siege was very very buggy when it uh, initially came out and it still has quite a few bugs that we're addressing in the near future But that was kind of, we didn't really get to take the time that we did. Uh, And you can see, you know, with Icewind Dale and Planescape Torment, when we do get to take the time that we need, we can do a a decent job. But Siege was not one of those cases.
2: Yeah, I I remember when Trent laid out um, the release order and what the... uh, um, you know, they had, like, you guys had to push out Baldur's Gate 2 Enhanced Edition first and all that stuff, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking
5: there was going to be trouble on this. Yeah. I mean, the having an expansion pack in the middle of a bunch of games that you've already released is troubling enough. Having an expansion pack at all is an issue because attach rates for DLC like that aren't great. They're always going to be a smaller percentage than the number of base install units. Mm-hmm. And... It, it was just a, a series of, of unfortunate timings and circumstances. If we could go back and do it again, and everyone says this, you know, we could do a much, much better job. But it was a learning experience. I guess everything is. But uh, there were right. some unfortunate outcomes of it. There was the whole blowback afterwards uh, with some of the content. And I wish it had done better. I'm still very proud of the work that I did on Dragon's Spear, And I think that... Over time, it'll kind of stand up as a pretty solid addition to the Baldur's Gate saga. But that initial release, I don't think anyone can deny that it was it was pretty rough there for a while.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I suppose we should talk about, you know, the um, backlash that
4: happens. Mm-hmm.
2: It's like, for those who may have missed it, although... It was quite um, palpable at the time. You know, it's like um, a whole, You know, it's like Gamergate basically came out against this game because they, they claimed it was because of the the storyline changes of you know, going on with Siege of Dragon's Tear and the Enhanced Editions. But in reality, it's because a minor trans character appeared in the game. Well, it
5: was it was more than that. There, mm-hmm. there was there was the issue of, okay, so Amber Scott, one of the writers on the project, before the game had come out, uh, she had done an interview, I think it was with uh, Polygon or somebody, where she had said, um, I personally am an SJW, uh, which is a term that uh, Gamer Gators think is pejorative. Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, that's not the right one. Um and so that was kind of a mark against her. And then, in another interview, she had said that, well, you know, I feel that Jahira uh, was kind of not a great character. She was kind of one-dimensional, a little bit sexist, et cetera, et cetera. And then, in addition to that, there was the transgender character who would mention that they were transgender if you drilled down into their conversation. And those three things combined with the fact that there were legitimate problems with Dragon Spear. It was buggy, some of the 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 content had to get fixed up, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Those things together kind of form the perfect storm because you have a bunch of subjective criticisms of the game, and then you have legitimate problems that are problems for everybody. And together, they kind of create a perfect storm of controversy, or at least they did for us. So I mean, I won't deny that there were there were definitely some issues with that content. I mean, for, for all of the unfounded anger against the transgender character, she was not written Exceedingly well, uh, and so that was definitely on us. But I mean, I I would wager that overall, I think we received a little bit more hate than perhaps was justified.
2: I, uh, it's not even so uh, so much the hate, but you know, more the well, what they
5: you know the, the cyber stalking and you
4: know. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, I mean that that was unfortunate. I mean, Amber was was pretty upset about that. I mean. Having a a huge contingent of people on the internet, you know, calling for your destruction is stressful, obviously. Um, And that was, you know, I can't really sugarcoat it. It it was a crummy time and it was very unhappy for a lot of people because we were all very excited about Dragon Spear. We knew that there were some bugs with it. We knew that it uh, had some rough edges, but we thought, you know, this is still a very solid adventure. We're very happy with the story, with the voiceover work that we had done. And... Then that happened and it kinda crushed everybody's spirits for a little while. But over time we got over it and we kind of bounced back and put all of our energy into Planescape Tournament Enhanced Edition and it's been a great success for us.
1: That's good to hear. So it's kinda sad too, because that was really a very small part of the game.
5: Yeah, and I mean you n- you never know it's gonna trigger a lot of controversy. Um I don't want to really make a judgment call on the people who were, you know, decrying the game because people have their own subjective viewpoints and whatever, and I don't really want to get into that debate. But I do feel as if perhaps it was a little exaggerated in how much hate we got for how bad it was.
2: Yeah, I, I, like believe me, I I certainly got into some contentious arguments with some friends over what was going on with Siege Dragons here at the time. Yeah, it's like, but you know, it's more. There were some things that were just not acceptable internally. Yeah, of, I, I think it's what we're getting at here. Like, it it doesn't matter if you you don't like a character that's no, you know, you don't go and you you know you, um, try to drive
5: somebody from the industry. I, I kind of feel like if, if Siege had zero bugs, but still all of the same content, the the controversy would have been one-tenth of what it was, but because they had those legitimate game issues to hang their hat on, that made it a lot worse. I suppose we'll never know. <laughs> That's true. Maybe in another dimension where that wasn't a problem, it still uh, was not a huge success. Indeed. But uh, uh,
2: shifting over to Planescape Torment, um, right, so
5: what's been enhanced with this particular um, edition? So I think Planescape Torment Enhanced Edition is kind of the culmination of everything that we've learned doing these enhanced editions. So initially our speculation was, hey, people aren't really going to want to come back unless there's something new for them to see. Thus, why we were like, okay, well, we need to include something new, like new companions, new dungeons, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that's not really true, I think. I think that some people really appreciate it, but I think the vast majority of people just want what they remember presented in the best possible way. And so that that was the objective for Planescape. So in Planescape, it's the game that you remember not the game as it actually was. If you go back and play Planescape Tournament right now, your memories of it are probably a lot better than uh, what it actually is. So we knew that we were gonna be competing with that. And so we took Planescape and we focused exclusively on making it the best possible experience of just Planescape. So in this version, uh, we completely ripped out the existing user interface, but we rebuilt it to look like the original So now it's a nice 4K interface. It looks like the original, it has the same character as the original. In fact, uh, Chris Avalon specified when we were working with him that he feels that the UI for all its goofiness and weirdness is very much a character of the game. And then we fixed up all of the things that aren't really tied to its character and are just annoyances. Mm -hmm. So if you recall the original Planescape Tournament, when you click in the game world, this horrifying little radial menu would come up that everybody universally hated and Chris was like we got to get that thing out of there. So we ripped it out and we replaced it with a more traditional like Icewind Dale style UI and the vast majority of people did not notice. I am like I think the thing I
2: noticed the, the most was the um view field. Yes.
5: I, I just what I just was not used to seeing that much of the map. Mhm. And so that's another thing that we did with uh, Planescape Enhanced Edition is realizing that there are some people who despite wanting it to run on their modern computer and wanting, you know, certain convenience features, still want to see the game as close to the original as possible. So we included when you start it up for the first time, it gives you an option that says, do you want to play in the enhanced mode, which has all of these features turned on to make it the best experience as possible? Or do you want the classic version which while still having a lot of the upgrades and fixes and improvements looks as similar to the original as possible so the field of view is locked to be roughly similar to what the original was with the addition of wings and left and right if you're playing widescreen uh, there's things like the sprite highlighting is turned off in original mode but it's on in the in the enhanced mode etc cetera, etc cetera. so There are two huge audiences for these games. There are people who want the original. They just want the original. And then there are people who want the original plus plus. And so with Planescape, we found uh, a sort of happy medium or a way to satisfy both groups. And it was a lot of work. It was a lot more work than we were expecting. And uh, we spent way, way more time in sort of polish phase than we had ever expected but it, it paid off because i think planescape is the best release we've ever done it's certainly uh,
2: uh, i've certainly heard a lot of good things about it especially in comparison to your previous releases mm-hmm. like uh, i think i've heard that you know there are some bugs still in the game but you know, that's to be expected yep.
5: there's certain so it was kind of interesting because there are certain bugs that by virtue of having been there for, uh, you know, 18 years, they're kind of part of the game now. So, for example, there's this infamous bug, uh, or typo, rather. There's this location called the Brothel of Slaking Intellectual Lusts. But in the game, it was spelled the Brothel of Slating Intellectual Lusts. And this was kind of a hilarious thing. Like, it it had been a running joke for the past, you know, almost two decades that slating... It's not slaking and so when it came time to review that area chris was like you know what that's kind of just part of the game now so we're gonna let that stay in and that sort of decision came up many many times where it's like yeah you know what that's a bug but that's also how people have been experiencing the game for the past 20 years so to change that for not really a, a great reason would be pointless so let's leave it in there
2: I can see why you know it's like that's that's the kind of thing that'll jar you when you hear it mm-hmm.
5: but again I mean Chris was kind of uh I guess the best way to put it is he he really helped us curate what's there versus just ripping everything out and and fixing it
2: yeah now was um Chris Avalon attached to this project from the start or did he come in like
5: midway through he was attached from the very, very beginning. Um, right after we uh, put Siege out, we knew that Planescape was going to be the next thing, and we had already been talking with Chris about that. And so he was super thumbs up, all all on board to sort of revisit uh, a game that was kind of his first big success. Uh, he was so eager that he offered to do a complete editorial pass of the entire text of the game because there were things that he didn't get to fix up in the initial release. Uh-huh. And that is a huge, huge deal. I mean, Planescape is, uh, I can't remember, but I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 600,000 words. I, so I, that's not a minor thing to take on. No, no,
2: no. Like, Planescape is uh, full of text. Oh, like, yeah. You know, we, we mentioned this in our review. Like, if you're looking for a combat-oriented Dungeons uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. & Dragons game, um,
5: stick to Baldur's Gate. Yeah. Uh, that was another discussion that we had where it was like okay do we go in and rip out pst's combat and make it good (laughs) and you know that's entirely within our capabilities but honestly to do that would drastically alter the flavor of the game and we realized that fixing that isn't necessarily making it better Mm. like um, now, were you uh,
2: ever concerned that you weren't updating the game enough for those yes. who might be put off, you know, with the 1999 everything? Yeah, uh,
5: that that's that was a constant point of discussion for us because we were honestly worried because we were still operating under the assumption that people won't come back unless there's something new for them, and as as we learned, like that's that's clearly not the case. Um, of course, there, there are still some people who are disappointed. Like, I, I think we got some dinged on some reviews because they're like, well, there's no new content, so what's really the point of coming back? But I think adding new content would have been one of those things that would have done more harm than good. Yeah. So it's one of those, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't things, but I think we would have been much more damned had we started adding original content to play. Game.
0: Yeah, from, from what I've heard, this is one of those games that a lot of people make like a yearly pilgrimage to run through again.
5: Yeah, exactly. and as well like the story of the nameless one is pretty contained and complete like there's not really a lot of ways to inject additional content unless you're getting pretty cheesy or if you wanted to just add a combat dungeon all right you could do that but combat and P.S.T. sucked so okay i shouldn't say that but you can see how there's not a lot of ways to inject things
2: yeah uh, especially since well um i'm we also mentioned this in the review but uh the main villain of the story is played by tony jay yeah he's been dead for about
5: uh, 10 years now rest, rest in peace tony jay uh
2: so that would have been another complication although mm-hmm. and that does lead me to my next question um how did you um did you do anything with the sound and the uh, music and all that stuff
5: yeah, so Planescape, actually, we were able to remaster the audio from the soundtrack CDs that were released years and years and years ago. And initially, I thought that the soundtracks were just, they took the tracks from the game, converted them into a wave, and created a, an audio CD. And when we sat down to listen to this thing, we were blown away that, no, there's way more depth and richness to this this music. Uh, so we were able to uh, convert it back into game format and put it in there, and it sounds incredible. Uh, for the rest of the sound effects, they're the originals. Uh, we processed them as best we could, but the original uh, source files were lost, which is kind of the story for a lot of Infinity Engine content. Um, so the main upgrade was in the uh, the music.
2: I see. Although I did um, detect better sound mixing, if only because I could hear things I never heard in like the original version.
5: That, that is true. The subsystem, I, I believe, it was replaced with SDL, um, So it, it can do a, a lot more stuff than the original did, which was built in like 1997. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, I've, I've probably gone over it many times in interviews, but there's a lot of interesting divergences between the Baldur's Gate version of the Infinity Engine and the Planescape version of the Infinity Engine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of crazy history there that only a few people will ever truly grasp
2: i'll have to take your word for it because i it's like i know some things about the history of the infinity engine like how much of a nightmare it was to work on Icewind Dale 2 because um the engine was built around second edition and that's third edition and well
5: if if you want the rundown i can uh-huh. i can quickly go over it for you sure why not so uh The Infinity engine started as Battleground Infinity. So around the same time that Shattered Steel was being shopped around to publishers, they were also shopping around a prototype called Battleground Infinity. And uh, it was a pretty uh, bare-bones RPG system. They weren't entirely sure what they were going to do with it, but it was enough of a demo that they managed to uh, convince someone at Interplay that this was a wise investment, and they managed to get the D&D license out of it. So Battleground Infinity slowly morphed into Baldur's Gate, However, before Baldur's Gate shipped, uh, Black Isle, uh, also working for Interplay, uh, was going to start working on a, another D&D RPG Planescape. And so Interplay said, hey, we've got these boys up in Edmonton who've got a great D&D engine, and you can use it to make your game, to cut your development time in half. So that was great, except that the two engines forked before they were finished. So Baldur's Gate was like six months away from being done when Planescape started up. So there were entire systems that were not implemented that the Planescape team had to figure out on their own. So the magic systems for Planescape were were remarkably different from the magic systems in Baldur's Gate. Planescape was very, very inspired by uh, JRPGs. The spells were very cinematic. There were like huge full screen effects going on. um, Just crazy stuff. So they diverged quite significantly in that way. And then after BG was BG2 and Icewind Dale and Icewind Dale 2, and those versions of the Infinity Engine were all very tightly related. Icewind Dale 2, you're right, it was a big challenge because trying to shoehorn 3rd edition, and not 3.5, it was the original 3rd edition, into right. the Infinity Engine was a big challenge. Uh, however, uh, it wasn't actually as bad as I think a lot of people guess. Like We've looked at the some of the code for Icewind Dale 2. And it's actually pretty clean. It's actually pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, Planescape was the big, big one-off. Mm-hmm. Infinity Engine games. That would explain a few things. Yeah, the, uh, the very, very different characteristics of Planescape are almost entirely because of the weird engine choices that they made. If they had started development of Planescape six months later, it would have been very, very close to Baldur's Gate, and they probably would have shared a lot of graphics. So maybe it's better that they uh, diverged earlier.
2: It's possible. I, it's one of those
5: things I couldn't say. I mean, it might
2: have helped in the sales department, because uh, you know, while Planescape Tournament was a cult favorite, I don't recall it selling to back in the day
5: it did not sell too well back in the day
2: i mean it, it was kind of hampered by other uh, other issues like the fact that it's based off of a, a one of the more
5: obscure um second edition modules for example yeah i've i've done uh, a lot of research into planescape i never actually played a, the setting before i played planescape torment and it, it's weird and it's it's super interesting but man it's hard to communicate to people to to ease someone into Planescape is so difficult, but I think Torment kind of took the best possible approach, which is dump you into it and kind of let the immersion wash over you of this completely foreign setting and just let you pick it up that way. Mm. I, I don't really I don't really know how you would ease somebody into Planescape in another way.
2: I, I, that's kind of the point of Planescape. You're not eased in.
5: You're just there. You're just there, Burke. Go uh <laughs> It's baked into the setting. Exactly. Like, go go find a uh what are they called? The uh the people that are guides. Oh um, a my nerd card. Yeah, um Anna is one. What are they called? They're like tour guides, oh, but
2: Oh uh oh oh I I know what you're talking about. A tout. Yes, a
5: tout, thank you. Yes. I need a tout, yes. go find a tout, <laughs> Yes. Um, So how long did you end up uh, working on Planescape Torment? So PST started up uh, in earnest probably shortly after uh, SOD shipped. So that would have been probably summer of last year. Yeah, beginning of summer last year. Um, And it wasn't until the fall that we realized that the scope of work because of the differences between the two engines was just so massive we were initially expecting that we could get pst done in time for christmas 2016 and obviously that didn't happen and we were short by three or four months but yeah we we very much underestimated how many horrors were lurking within the uh, the planescape source code before we started <laughs> up the project
2: uh well uh, at least you got it done and um uh what about the tablet conversion process uh for those who don't know the enhanced editions not only are um pc but they're um put out for ios and android uh, mainly for tablets
5: so the the tablet version um in in the previous enhanced editions we tried to keep the desktop and the tablet versions as similar as we could not identical but somewhat similar uh, just for uh, the sake of sanity like keeping things familiar for people and we learned that that's that's a solution that works but it's not really the best solution so with planescape we really took extra time and we added a tablet specific user interface that sort of aligns on the left and right with your thumbs as well there's like a really awesome feature where when you're in a conversation in the top left it'll pop up a list of dialogue responses and you can just tap them up there so it conforms to the way that you would naturally hold the tablet, which is way, way better than uh, the Baldur's Gate experiences. So we've really, really realized that, no, while you can have uh, interfaces similar across desktop and tablet, you get a much better response when you customize. Um, I, I can't really promise that we'll do this, but I would love to go back to BG1 to Dale and bring some of those tablet-specific layouts to those games. But we'll see what happens uh, in an upcoming patch for for those games.
2: i duly noted. Uh, so, speaking of patches, um, what what sort of patches are incoming for you know the games? Is
5: it all just bug fixes? Um, somewhat. So PST uh, 3.1 is going to be coming out in the near future. Here, uh, I believe an open beta is going to be starting for that. After that, we're going to go back. Uh, You may have noticed if you've played Baldur's Gate 1, 2, or Icewind Dale on tablets recently, they'll throw up an error on iOS saying, hey, in a future update to iOS, this application might slow down your machine. That's because they're 32-bit apps. On desktop, we've already converted them to 64-bit, but we're going to have to push that update out onto tablets. So once we've fixed up the 64-bit issue, we'll be going back and working on some other things. I can't really get into the specifics about the patch, but it's gonna be mostly bug fixes, but with some features that people have requested or are needing in order to uh, make the game work properly in their system.
2: Right, and um, so uh, just one more question here, because I see it's about time to wrap things up. Um, What can you mention in terms
5: of future projects? Um, I guess all I can really say is well, there's there's a few there's a few angles we can go. There's uh, the Infinity Engine stuff. There's, of course, the question mark about Icewind Dale 2. I think everyone wants to know if we're going to do that. We would desperately love to do Icewind Dale 2. The source code is missing. Uh, if you spot Trent on Twitter, he actually put out a public message saying, if anyone out there has it, please contact us. Or if you know somebody that we can contact, please let us know. We'll get in touch with them. We've been up and down all the dudes that used to work at Black Isle. We've been hammering Interplay, been hammering everybody that we can. The source code cannot be found. If we can't find the source code, that's kind of a killer because uh, recreating Icewind Dale 2 is kind of beyond the scope of how many sales that product would bring in. So that's what's happening there. On the new development front, I can't really talk about any specific projects. I can tell you that we're moving away from the Infinity Engine. We've started moving into Unreal 4. Uh, we're still very committed to like ISO-style games with a lot of tactical depth and rules complexity. So look for that from us in the future. But we're definitely moving into the 21st century this time around with an all-new engine, all-new tech that is uh, being developed by Beamdog.
2: Hmm. Well, I, well, I'm certainly interested to see what's um, forthcoming. Uh, I'm, like Personally, I'm hoping it's a new Dungeons & Dragons game, because quite honestly we haven't had a uh we haven't had, really had a, any dungeons and dragons uh, game yeah in a long
5: time. yeah it's 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 hard because like and I'll, I'll spill some beans about uh the the climate out there for, for publishers um if you go to a publisher and you're like hey i want 10 million dollars to make a, a medium scale D rpg a lot of the time they're going to say hey that's a great idea. We love the the gameplay that you're pitching us. We love the story. But 10 million bucks for an IP that we don't own, hmm, I don't know about that. So, to really make a good D&D game, you can't you can't cheap out. You got to get like a reasonable budget. You got to do it right. And I think games like uh, Daggerdale and Circus Legends show that if you try and cut corners, bad things are going to happen to you. And so that's kind of the issue is that like to get the budget for a D game you need to convince a publisher to get in on that but in order for them to get in on that they usually want to own the ip if they're going to spend that much money so it's a bit of a battle like i don't think you won't see dnd games in the future you're absolutely going to see some DD games in the future but it's a bit of a struggle um and that's that's just the reality of game development indeed no i'm like
2: it's probably why we we you know why not only um have we not seen a, any i think part of it is also because of atari like at least well,
5: atari's my, out of the mix now atari's no right. longer involved they don't have the dnd license um so they're I mean, they're kind of not a problem
2: yeah i'm talking about times previous oh
5: yeah, yeah oh absolutely they were a problem <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like but yeah it's the climate could be better because, you know, we're now living in the age where, you know, CRPGs uh, are coming back and, mm-hmm. you know, Pillars of Eternity, um, Torment, Tides of uh,
5: Numenera. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you played that one yet. Oh, yeah. We, we actually, uh, the day it came out, we were all playing it because, hey, it's, it's yet another game in our in our kind of clubhouse that we get to check out and enjoy. The the CRPG community is pretty tight knit. Like, I don't think there's a lot of animosity between any of us. Like, mm-hmm. Larian, Obsidian, like all these guys, we're kind of just we enjoy playing each other's games. Like, I love Divinity games. I love uh, the Pillar series. I love Tyranny. I'm excited to see what they produce. I think that the space is is uh, simultaneously big enough and small enough that we can all sort of play nicely together.
2: It's good to hear, and yeah, uh, I'm certainly looking forward to. Um, you know what you can do next. You know if that's Icewind Dale 2 or you know the original
5: stuff. Um, yeah. Worst worst case scenario, we'll do a D and D dating simulator. You go to Forgotten Realms High, and Minsk is your English teacher, and Serabak is the school bully. I'm like, that may prove
2: to be a lot more popular than <laughs> I think it might. I'm I'm like, the internet is weird especially when it comes to dating sims and shit like that
5: i'm secretly using you guys as a focus group to see if we should actually make this game (laughs) oh like i said
0: we know some guys who can help make that a reality for you (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) okay um so i'm gonna see if any of my colleagues here have any further questions
1: and if not then we'll wrap it up i'm good I'm good. I'm just. Lo- I'm looking forward to seeing what you come out with in the future. Yeah, too. Yeah, Galax here is
2: our big CR. Um, well, not CRPG, but um, pen and paper RPG player.
5: Oh, good. Well, you're in Edmondson, come by. We play D and D every Friday. <laughs> it might be a little difficult since he's in Maine. Well, I mean, you know, Edmondson, It's not that much of a drive. It's probably like <laughs> twenty-eight hours, <laughs> non-stop. <laughs> Indeed,
2: well, maybe one day. All right, um, so the game is Planescape Torment. Uh, it's available on uh, Steam and GOG, and I believe Humble as well. Um, uh,
5: yeah, it's available on Beamdog as well, and on iOS and the Google Play Store. Right. Um, is it PC, Mac, and Linux? Yep, it's actually the first time that Planescape has officially come to Linux, and I think Mac as well. Me. yeah.
2: Uh, so you can pick it up on your um, favorite computer platform of choice, be it's um, laptop or desktop or tablet. And yeah, I would certainly recommend it. I mean, we did a hour and 15 minute inter- uh, review of the game. So um, definitely comes recommended. All right. Um, you know, I'd like to thank you for taking time out of your schedule for, uh, for joining us uh, this week. It's been a pleasure, guys. And we hope you can come back in the future when you're ready to talk about your next projects.
5: Absolutely. All right.
2: Um, good to hear. All right. Uh, Penny Fan play us to the next segment. All right. Welcome to the topic of discussion for the... Um, for the week, um, this time around, we're talking about shmups of the 16-bit era. Now, why this particular moment in time? Um, pretty much considered to be the um, apex genre.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: maybe not so much creativity, but just in terms of activity. Now, th- especially on consoles. Like, you know, this is the time where we're seeing some of the greatest shmups of all time. Um, mm-hmm. In the classical styles, it should be mentioned we're still we're still a generation away from seeing the um, more modern bullet hell style shooters. You know, these are more you know classic um, vertical and horizontal shooters. Although um, that distinction was becoming blurred by this point, because especially like with the horizontal shooters. Um, They wouldn't just move like, say, left to right, but they'd move up and down and even diagonally, you know, taking advantage of the enhanced processor power. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, um, this is a a, quite the broad topic, and we may not be able to cover it all in one setting because we've got three systems here, and... um, they're just packed, even the Super NES, um, with um, notable and um, beloved shooters. Um, so which consoles should we take on first? I'm thinking Super NES because um, even though it, I think the library is over on the line, it is undisputably weaker than uh, the Genesis or the PC Engine family.
1: Yeah, there were things that the SNES was better than the Genesis and stuff at, but a lot of the stuff that goes into shooters, aside from like music, which is always nice, uh, were not things that the SNES was better at. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, um, the the issue there was um, processor speed. The Super NES had a noticeably slower processor than the Genesis. That's where the blast processing comes from. Mm hmm. You know, um, and yes, it had a profound esp- uh, effect on the shmups, especially the early ones. Um, uh, you... yeah, you know, um, Gradius 3 or Super R type come immediately to mind. Um, and that word is slow down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You
1: know, um, yeah, yeah. You, it, a lot of the slowdown it's not it you could avoid slowdown but the ways of doing that generally involved having less bullets and less effects and less enemies on the screen at once which uh, having more of those is one of the things that shoot up shoot ups use to uh make the gameplay more interesting
2: right but so where does yeah, Outside of slowdown, um, you know, the Super NES did see uh, um, iterations of uh, popular franchises that like had begun on the NES or elsewhere. You know, it, it's like you know like for example, Gradius 3. Gradius was um, very much associated with the Super NES at this point or, or the NES. Because of the original version that came out. Uh, and also Life Force, which wasn't actually Gradius, but you know, it was close enough where people uh, thought it was Gradius 2 back in the day. What was the name of that? I didn't hear
1: Life Force. You know Life AKA Force
2: Life Force. Mm-hmm. AKA Salamander. Ah. You know, it's like um it's a it's actually a spin-off of the Gradius series. Um, For whatever reason, we never got Gradius 2. Europe did, but we didn't. Mm. But, like, Gradius 3 was considered to be, like, the big early shooter. uh, Alongside Super R-Type.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, uh, and I played both back in the day, and, you know, they... You know, they... You know the slowdown
1: it, I, I'm like was noticeable compared to were there other versions were those games also on other consoles or
2: no but th- they were noticeable especially um, when you compare it to something like Gates of Thunder on the Graphics or the Lords of Thunder series mm-hmm. uh, I'm like believing it was noticeable but that's not to say that um, there are no good or great schmups on the uh, on the system. Um, one of my favorite of all time is, it's not even a, sh- a spaceship uh, shooter, but uh, it's a UN squadron.
1: Yeah, when you mentioned that, I had to sort of rethink what I was thinking about, because I was thinking of space shooters, because that's what a lot of them were. But there were actually a decent number of relatively modern military shmups,
2: right? And that's not just restricted to the Super NES. Like the Genesis had um, a uh, Topolin conversion called Fire Shark, which was based off of uh, World War One planes. You know, in terms of gameplay, it was um fairly fairly decent at the time. Although, it, it really stood out from. Um, It's setting more than it's gameplay
1: Ah yes and UN Squadron Is indeed the one that I thought it was The one that is actually an anime adaptation Of an anime that never really Got localized much And was significantly changed In the adaptation Yep. Area 88 Which is Um, about Absolutely anything but a United Nations Team
2: (laughs) Right although it's worth noting that the super any it was originally a arcade game i mean mm-hmm. th- that is another thing to note for a lot of um shmups around this time not just here but um you know previous and into the um 32 bit era there're going to be ports of arcade games
0: yeah a fair bit yeah, of well, genesis so games the... were ports
1: yeah this was the era when they were one of the big deals was that the consoles were now able to do things approximately as good as arcades were. And arcade was still like the standard of excellence for a lot of shooter games. Mm-hmm. And,
2: um, and that, that's kind of another thing that worked against the super NES because, you know, the Gradius three in the arcade didn't have slowdown Gradius three on the super NES did. No, I I know I'm harping on this, but when it comes to shmups, slowdown is um, pretty important.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It can either make it unplayable or way too easy, depending on how bad the slowdown is.
2: Yeah, well, in the in the case of say Naka, it made uh, Gradius three playable. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: If if you remember his um, let's play of the game, right, right. Anyway, getting back to my 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 level of experience of those games is pretty similar to Naka's in that I enjoy them, but I suck at them.
2: Right. Well, so, getting back to UN Squadron, what I really liked about it is, um... you can purchase weapons in between levels. You know, not not a unique concept, but, you know, like Fantasy Zone did this thing, but... um,
4: Mm mm-hmm
2: you know uh you it's also it's it was the uh i'm not exactly if this is another class of shmups or what but um you didn't have lives in this game like you had an energy bar um this was employed in other shmups uh like um the Sega CD shmup uh, Silphie had this, where wow. you, uh, where you have one, um, where you have one life, but you have a um, energy bar, so you can sustain multiple hits. Mm-hmm.
1: But when you actually do die, it's over. Yes. Yeah. Again, that makes sense in UN Squadron, given the theming of the original series. Right. Uh, but I know that that's not unique to just this game, and I'm sure it was used in other games for other various I, reasons.
2: I just said that.
1: Yeah. I literally
2: just... Used well, no, the, the, th-
1: the thing that I was adding was that it some of it is probably based on the right. series that it's based on.
2: Right, no doubt, no doubt. But um, the, um, these were elements that weren't in the arcade version, as I understand it. I never played the arcade version. Although I did play its sequel carrier, Airwing, on GameTap when it was available.
4: Hmm.
2: Like, I don't remember much about this one. Like, honestly, I think the arcade versions were pretty mediocre from what I'm gathering. Like, the Super NES had enough um, twists on its um, formula. Not to mention, it's also Airplanes. And... um, Airplane uh, shmups, once again... uh, Uncommon, but not um, unique. Like, um, another one is the first Arrow Fighters game. Uh, which is significant because that sort of became the signature um, sh- uh, shmup series for SNK and the Neo Geo. Even though they didn't release those games. It was a company called uh, Mick O'River. i not even making that up. Uh, it, it's like the, you know, it was the uh, English label of a, a company called Video System, and while Video System is generic as hell, it's you know not that. I'm like um, other uh, like um, other notable Super NES shmups, um, Phalanx. Okay, this is a bit of a, this one is actually not a. A arcade port, but it's the other kind of port, a PC port. Um, This is important because um, probably the signature Genesis Shmup series, the Thunder Force series, um, Mm -hmm. they originated on PCs as well. Um, In fact, Thunder Force 2 was um, I think a direct port of the I'm trying to think if it came out on the PC eighty-eight or like the Sharp um, sixty-four thousand. You know, one of the, one of the various um, P- obscure P- uh, Japanese PC
0: ports. Yeah, because yeah, I guess PCs over in DOS, they weren't really IBM PCs like they were over here.
2: There were, but you weren't building shmups for for fucking IBM PCs uh, yeah. most of the time. I'm like, although it did happen, like, uh, Sierra converted the original version of Sylphie to DOS, Mm -hmm. you know, for example. But anyway, um, Phalanx, okay, you know this one by the box art. I'm (laughs)
1: going to say, like, is this the one with the random old banjo guy? Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> no, that, the, the regular contender in every time anyone mentions games with non-indicative box art?
4: Yeah,
2: it, it ends up on uh, a lot of worst box art ever um, features, mainly because of the inexplicable nature of everything. Like, um, it's... Otherwise, it's a fairly unnotable shmup. Like, it's like I don't know. I, I think the box art kind of saved this one because yeah. if it didn't have that goofy box art, nobody would be talking about Phalanx ever. It'd mm-hmm. be like um, fellow obscure um, Super NES shmup uh, Firepower 2000. Yeah, there's the reason why you've never heard of this one. It's called Firepower 2000. I think <laughs> they, I think you'd have to pay a um, committee. To come up with a more generic name than that. (laughs) Like.
0: But it was 2000. It represented the future. Yeah. I'm
2: like. So I'm supposed. I guess kind of dancing around, um. Maybe the best of the Super NES shmups. And that's Axley. I'm like. Um. This is another one put out by Konami. Uh, was I the only one who ever played this one?
1: I uh, think it's so. It's not ringing any bells.
0: Granted, I didn't grow up with a Super NES, so I didn't play a lot of Super NES shooters because of that. Okay,
2: see, now Okay, see now. you guys can fix this because Axley is on the virtual console.
1: Yes. Yeah. As apparently, well, it's Axley looks like it's on the Wii and Wii U virtual consoles. Yes. Uh, the one I played, Darius Twin. Uh, is on only the Wii virtual console for some reason. Um, I think that uh, has to do with Taito. Probably, yeah. Darius is Taito's space shooter series, and Mm -hmm. uh, Twin was the first console one, I think, aside from maybe some adaptations. It was primarily an arcade series. The distinctive and, thing about Darius Twin is that the enemy spaceships all look like fishes.
2: Yes, also um, multiple paths.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, They also it does have very branching paths for the uh, yeah. stage map.
2: Also some very, very surreal music. Um, thank you,
1: Sunata. <laughs> your- I really liked the music in Darius Twin, and I yeah. can still remember, like, almost all of it.
2: Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. My favorite uh, Darius game is Darius Gaiden. Um, the, the Sega Saturn got a really good version of that. Like, mm-hmm. I remember showing that game to Naka and ogre back in the day, and them getting freaked out by the by the music. <laughs> anyway, um, in terms, anyway, getting back to Axley here. Mm-hmm. uh not really much to say about it in terms of like design or anything uh, you know it's a pretty you know it's a pretty tropey um shooter maybe not as much as um some of the more generic ones it it's certainly got its own visual personality and all that stuff i'm just saying you know um it's a lot like say li- it's a lot like their other uh, shooters like Life Force or Gradius. Um,
1: but it's just like, you know, it's just damn.
2: It's a damn good shooter, is what I'm getting at here.
1: It looked I, like it uses. Because uh, one of the things that the Super Nintendo was good for was the Mode 7 rotating and scaling graphics and parallax stuff, so. Yeah.
2: yeah um, this game uses a lot. Yeah, uses a lot of the Mode 7 shit. Uh, You know, I definitely remember that, Um, and I'm trying to remember. I I think the slowdown, um, um, probably still there, but it wasn't. It wasn't fucking uh, super R type or Gradius
1: three. Like this is a. um, Well, being an original, uh, yeah, intellectual property, they probably had less. of an existing feel that they wanted to, like, R-Type and Gradius both have a certain expectation of certain types of enemies and enemy patterns, and also, I th- do they both have
2: remote weapon style things? I think so. I know uh, Gradius
1: does, because those are something oh. that is notably absent in some of the Super Nintendo ones that I...
2: Yeah. Um. um R-Type has a different system, but but, it, you know, it has that um, thing in the front. hmm You know, also worth noting, one uh, probably the second best sh- uh, shmup on the Super NES is um, R-Type 3, the third dimension. Um, if you want to see more of that, um, I did a Let's Play of that um, some years ago.
1: He, he kind of did a Let's Play of the entire franchise.
2: Right, but I'm talking about that one You know. hmm uh, You know, uh, I really wouldn't recommend Super R-Type. Not only is the slowdown pretty bad, uh, it's really hard because so what? Like Super R-Type is one of those games where it's checkpoint based. I mean, the R-Type series in general is checkpoint based, Mm -hmm. Um, but the checkpoints are really bad in. In, in Super R-Type.
1: They're just um, not placed well?
2: I, I, in that, I think... I'm trying to remember, but I think they were non-existent. No. So, like, if you died, you, you had to do the level over again.
1: Yeah, um, that's a pain. Yeah. But,
2: uh, yeah, R-Type 3, the third dimension... what um, was another quality shmup. You'll notice the pattern here is these are um, mid-generation sho- uh, shooters, mm-hmm. and they weren't arcade ports, or you know they were reworked to make to be made better on the Super NES. Mm-hmm. Now, and uh, there are certainly there are certainly more shmups on the super nes um there's cybernator or assault suit uh linos i believe um another really underrated uh um uh horizontal platformer shmup kind of deal hybrid um also on the uh virtual console hint hint Mm I, I
1: do recommend checking that out. You can really probably but, just kind of look through the whole genre play.
2: Yeah, but I'm t- I'm talking about Super NES shops.
1: Right. That's what that's what I mean. Like on on the eShop, just check out the genre. Yeah, I so mean, you can like, sort by type of game.
2: Well, not all of them are all that notable. Like I know Super uh, Earth Defense Force is on there, and um, that's pretty generic. Like, probably the most notable thing is its name, uh, Super EDF. So it gets um, uh, confused with, um, you know, the other Earth Defense Force
4: series.
2: (laughs) Uh, I've seen that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, There's the Parodius uh, releases on the Super NES. Parodius is fun. Yeah. Although, yeah, we never got that because... We really don't care for um, em ups apparently
1: well Perodius is sort of borderline on being what you what I'd call a cutem up yeah. half of it is more of a weird' up <laughs> yeah my well here's the thing Europe got this we
2: did
0: not that's mm-hmm. why there's an English and a coherent English translation because they just use the European version.
2: Um, you know, there's an installment of the Cotton series, um, you know, the Tiny Witch Shooter.
0: Good God, how many Mm -hmm. Cotton games are there now?
2: I forget offhand. I was about to
0: say, other than far
1: too many.
2: (laughs) Uh, not according to Naka.
1: I was going to say, never enough for Naka.
2: Yeah. Granted, it's been a while since he's done one of them. That might be something he does in the near future, if I'm thinking about it, actually. Anyway. Um, and finally, the last um, Super NES uh, shmup I want to talk about is Desemar.
4: Um oh.
2: So this is actually a pretty special um, series. It's not just a... Uh, it's not just a Super NES release, but like... There, uh, there was a N64 release as well, and I think maybe a few other versions, but uh, yeah, um, Desemon is a shmup constructor set.
1: Hmm. How do you say that? How do you
2: spell that? Um, D-E-Z-A-E-M-O-N yeah, Desemon you um, you get to build your own shmups um and I think you can see why this never came over
1: here on <laughs> del yes, <laughs> which roughly I believe translates to draw make play
2: right and that is indeed the idea behind this you you know uh. I believe there are some preloaded trumps, but the big draw is, you know, you get to make your own shooters within the parameters of what's available there asset-wise. So yeah,
0: kind pick, of like RPG Maker?
1: You. Yes, uh, exactly that. Now, pick enemies and uh, define their movement patterns and stuff and choose from a few different kinds of gun power-ups you can get and probably draw your own bullets for them.
2: Right. I'll be honest, I don't know how elaborate um, the different versions are, given that, you know, it's all in Japanese.
0: Yeah, also with this being 16-bit era, they couldn't go too crazy.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like I said, there's, a, there's also a Saturn version, and there's a uh, Nintendo 64 version, actually. Mm.
4: Which
2: is surprising mm. um, but yeah, so, yeah, there are definitely some notable releases on the Super NES, but, you know, when we get into the Genesis... We're going to be and, here for a while. Yeah. That's kind of why I'm splitting this up. Now, this topic may not necessarily return next week, but we'll definitely revisit this for the
1: Genesis and the um, TurboGrafx. Yeah, all honest- of those certainly have wider libraries and are probably, probably even more importantly than wider libraries have better-regarded installations in existing series.
2: Well, it's also um, important to remember that um, we're also talking about two libraries each. Um, You know, not just the Genesis and the PC Engine, but um, the PC CD and the Sega CD. Uh This is especially notable for the PC CD ROM because um, they had some really excellent shooters, um, like the Thunder series. Uh, on that. Lords of Thunder and Gates of Thunder. Um, two more for uh, if you're wanting to buy some of these on the virtual console. Although, yeah, those are only on the Wii one. Uh, yeah, it's like, come to think of it, a lot of these are on the virtual console. Fortunately, Thunder Force never made it. Which is unfortunate because I really do think that was the best um, shmup series on the Genesis. But more on that in the future. Alright, so that'll about do it for this installment of Fragments of Silicon. Um, coming up in the week ahead um, on well MSP this week, what do we got going?
0: We have Jesse Cox is going to be showing up for an interview. Hmm. Oh man, that's a guy. Mm.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I've seen some of his work. Uh, like, I liked his Mc- McPixel Let's Play back in the day. Mm-hmm. I can't say I've watched anything from him recently, but I, I know who he is, is uh, my point. Yeah. Oh. Um, let's see. Uh, as far as reviews go, um, up uh, coming this Sunday, we are reviewing uh, Swarm Universe. Um, I'm not as. Uh, this game is kind of hard to describe because it's sort of like a twin stick shooter, but it's not actually a twin stick shooter. You know? Yeah. It's got the design there, but your weapon is this um, swarm spread. Um,
1: Interesting.
2: Yeah, it's like. Um, it's really funky to handle, and I'll be honest, I think it works better as an idea more than an actual conceptualization, but more on that on Sunday. And our other review is Tumbleseed.
5: Um, once
2: again, yeah. Once again, really unique game. Um, I'm already kind of sick of it.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I
0: understand.
2: I'm like more on that on Sunday. Like,
1: um, it's being pretty heavily promoted, but that doesn't mean that it's um, right perfect. Certainly.
2: Like I said, we'll talk more about it when we get to the actual review. So, um, next week, in terms of guests, um, on Tuesday, May 16th, we will be welcoming Mario. Okay, the, this is a Slavic name. So, once more into the breach. Uh, Milo Kovic. Mario Milo Kovic of Little Green Man Gaming. Um, they're a Croatian outfit. Um, the, they're the creators of a franchise called Star uh, Starpoint Gemini. Interesting. Gem, yeah, Gemini. Hmm. Is it Gemini or Gemini?
1: Usually Gemini, I think. Yeah. That's why I, I always ah, heard it.
2: Yeah. Um. I'm trying to remember uh, which uh game is coming out soon is it Starpoint point gemini 2 um hang on let me check on this uh, start uh uh relevance uh release date um hmm that's odd the Starpoint point gemini warlords came out last year i think it might be a new release Oh, more on that on Tuesday. Like, uh, So Wednesday, we're kind of in a fluid situation here. Um, so up until a few days ago, we were planning on talking to um, a representative of Bandai Namco about the Naruto franchise. And that interview is still happening, but it's, got, it's delayed because they said they don't really have much to talk about now. And so um, we will have that once they're able to um, talk about um, the games in production. Probably, that's definitely uh, something post E3. Uh, Maybe later. They didn't give a timeline. They, They probably don't know themselves. But they said in lieu of that, they would line us up with another representative of Bandai Namco to talk about something else. I'm trying to see if we can't talk about the recently released Little Nightmares. Um, It's been a few days. Haven't heard back. This may fall through. Um, I'll I'll give it a couple more days um, before I have to start looking for other people, uh, is what I'm saying. So this is the plan as it is. It could fall through. Um, We'll probably have an update on Sunday. right. Um, so with that all in mind, um, I wish you good gaming.